Shopify Masters is powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com slash masters. Just because you give back doesn't make your business unique anymore. Hey, my name is Felix and I'm the host of Shopify Masters. Each week we learn the keys to success from e-commerce experts and entrepreneurs like you. In this episode, you'll learn the pros and cons of starting a charitable business, why you should show out-of-stock products on your site, and how much of an impact public speaking can have on your business. Today I'm joined by Jess Ekstrom from Headbands of Hope. Headbands of Hope offers a wide range of beautiful headbands and hair accessories for all ages. For every item purchased, one headband is donated to a child with cancer. It was started in 2012 and based out of Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome, Jess. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, yes, uh, same here. So tell us a bit more about your background. How, where did this idea for, for this kind of business uh, come from? It actually started when I was a college student at NC State. I originally interned in Disney World, which was really fun. And I was a photo pass photographer, and I got to photograph a lot of kids that were there on their wish for the Make-A-Wish Foundation and absolutely fell in love with the cause and did my summer internship there the following year. I saw a lot of kids that were losing their hair to chemotherapy and they would be immediately offered a wig or a hat, something that was basically telling them to cover up their hair. And they really didn't want something to cover up their experience. They wanted something that could just restore their self-confidence after hair loss. So I saw this like commonality of all of these kids wearing headbands and started to look up organizations that gave headbands to kids with cancer and couldn't find any, realized that was a connection that hadn't been made yet. So my junior year of college, I founded Headbands of Hope. And for every item sold, a headband is donated to a child with cancer. Yeah, definitely a very powerful and, and um, story and very important cause. So you recognize that there wasn't something like this out there already. What mm-hmm. were the beginnings of putting this entire thing together? Did you already know about how to create essentially an apparel business? Uh, not at all. <laughs> I was uh, studying communications at the time with a uh, minor in Spanish, but don't test me on the Spanish <laughs> part. And uh, fortunately, my dad started a company when I was younger. And so he, uh, I had that as a role model and he could really help me with a lot of the logistics of um, you know, buying a domain and, and things like that. But it was Actually, I was really fortunate to be a college student at the time because I had so much access to all of these resources on a college campus. So when I didn't know how to uh, create a logo, I worked with graphic design students. When I didn't know how to manufacture my product, I worked with the textile design school. And so a lot of people ask me how I started my company when I was in college, but I would actually argue Headbands of Hope is what it is today because I was a college student and not in spite of it. And I actually started off with um, Shopify. A, a professor referred me to that and said it makes it uh, easy to start your own business. And that was that was definitely true because I knew nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but based on your experience, because you, you did start pretty much from scratch, you didn't have yeah. any background in this. What do you think, uh, looking back on it, what do you think that you either should have spent the m- most of the time on now that you've had you know five years of experience under your your belt. Looking back on it, what would you say, you know, Jess, if you could go back and talk to yourself, Jess, this is what you should focus your attention on? 
Yeah, I think I was I was so uh, stressed out about the the manufacturing, and I I didn't raise any money. I started it from scratch through my savings. I was actually planning to study abroad in the semester, and 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 realized no, I'm going to use this to actually stay here and start a business. So I had very limited funding, and I was worried I wasn't going to have all of these SKUs of products from people to for people to choose from. And instead, I just started with just a couple core products and uh, built it from there. Now we have over 100 SKUs, but I think I was so worried about the product. But um, in hindsight, people people just really loved the concept and what the product did. And you know, our products have gotten better and better each year. But I think in the beginning, um, I spent too much time worried about the product and if I had enough and not enough time communicating the messaging, which was what ultimately made our sales. Mm, so obviously your business was started with charity from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of uh, businesses out there either do that or decide later on they want to give back and, and start kind of a charitable aspect of their business. Uh, based on your experience, you know, what, what do you find are the, the pros and cons of starting a business from the ground up that it has a charitable aspect to it? Yeah, that's a great question. I've thought about this a lot. Uh, Headbands of Hope is a for-profit company. So one of the things I've discovered along the way is that you really shouldn't have to choose between making a living and making a difference with your business. You should be able mm-hmm. to do both at once. Uh, but a lot of times we've we've felt that it's a choice. We're either focused on profits or we're focused on purpose. And with Headbands of Hope, I've learned that you know our business is fueled with purpose and and that's okay. Um, and so one of the the major benefits is you can feel good about what you're doing. I mean, I'm thrilled to work every day. I mean, not every day, of course, is skipping through uh, meadows and, you know, picking flowers. But at the end of the day, I know that every single thing that I do matters and I can connect it to something greater. And I mean, there's very few cons. The only con that I would say is it it is another element that goes into your operations. Um, With every item we sell, we donate a headband. So that's communicating with hospitals around the world. It's um, other shipping, fulfillment. It's an added step, but it's also what makes us who we are. And I think that sometimes people think that, oh, giving back with what you do is trendy. And I don't think that it's it's trendy. I think that if anything, it's going to become an expectation of businesses, not if you're giving back, but what are you doing to give back? Mm. And what what about on the other side? Like, or do you find that there are certain things that maybe you cannot do as a business, or things that hold you back because of of you know the, the charitable aspect of your business? Yeah, I mean, the only thing that could potentially hold us back is you know a lot of our money that we are making is going towards added headbands for the kids in the hospitals, um, so it doesn't leave us this this huge marketing budget, but we also don't need a huge marketing budget because of how unique our concept is of giving headbands, because that's the other element to cause-related business that I that I feel is kind of um, not really talked about is just because you give back doesn't make your business unique anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's great that you give back, but that doesn't necessarily uh, make you different from the rest because it's amazing that so many companies are giving back. So how you give back 
and how you communicate, how you give back is what makes you unique. Um, so whether it's the tangible products, like what we do with headbands to kids with cancer, and then we've also um, created this this level of transparency with our customers where they purchase on our site they, uh, two weeks later after they get their order, they'll get a donation confirmation email with the exact hospital that their headband went to. So creating that level of transparency, I think, also separates you from you know, the, the businesses that might raise the question of, well, where did my purchase actually go? Or where is this money even going? Yeah, I like that. I like that. It's not just that, hey, we used your money where we used your, uh, the, the purchase, the profits from the purchase of the, the product to, to, to help. You say specifically how their money is work, going to work essentially because I, you know, I've, I've donated, plenty of people have donated money and you don't know where it goes. You kind of just assume mm-hmm. that, that, that someone's, uh, you know, making good use out of it. Uh, but I like that you do follow up and tell them exactly what's going to happen with the money or what has happened with the, the essentially the headband in your case uh, that, that, they've, that they've purchased. Yeah, now, it, it's, it's great too because not only can we be transparent with our consumer and, and share with them with pride exactly what happened when they purchased, but it also gives us another excuse to reach out mm-hmm. to our customers and stay in front of them. Yeah, I was going to say exactly that is that you had to have another reason to reach out to them. Exactly. And it's not just, hey, it's, here's more products that you can buy. Yeah. It's actually something that, that, that goes beyond just, just your product, beyond your brand. So I think those types of messages always resonate better. Uh, now, if someone out there wants to set up a you know, cause-related business, how simple or complex can it be? Like, what is the, let's say someone already has a business or is thinking about starting one and they want to, maybe they don't even have a cause. You're like, what, is, what are the steps involved to, to find your cause and to get it integrated into your business? Yeah, well, I think that, you know, the best businesses that have a cause component are, is one, relevant to what their industry is, and two, isn't isn't forced. It fits naturally into that flow. Um, so what I would do is maybe look at industry-related problems. If you're in health, maybe looking at, you know, um, food in schools or exercise programs and figuring out how you can work that into your business model. Uh, it, partnerships are great. So figuring out maybe someone else out there where their sole purpose is solving this problem and how you can work with them to do that. Because I will say what, what we do is great, you know, giving headbands to kids with cancer, but we're doing that on our own. And that's a whole other operation within Headbands of Hope is the donation side. Whereas there are some companies out there where have made an alliance with a nonprofit partner where they, after every purchase, are funding that nonprofit partner, even if that means each fund that they give them is equivalent to a tangible product, um, they can still use that in their marketing. And it takes that weight off of the business's shoulders to have to fulfill those donations in that cause um, when they can just align it with someone who's already doing that and help scale it quicker. And so you essentially outsource that aspect exactly. of it. Exactly. Now, why did you make the decision not to do that, but to keep it in-house? One, because no one was doing that. There mm-hmm. wasn't anyone out there that that was. Uh, and two, it's it's allowed us to put our own personal touches on it. We even are now doing what's called make your own headband days in the hospital where we actually 
aren't just bringing in headbands. We're bringing in um, flower crown kits where we have uh, heroes, headband heroes across the country that go into the hospitals and actually make the headbands with the kids. So it combines uh, art therapy with our mission. And so things like that that we're able to do because it's in-house um, and our communication with the hospitals, getting pictures, testimonials, um, there's no middleman in between that. So that's one benefit of doing that in-house. But as I said, it's, you know, a, a whole part of our operations is is just doing that. Whereas we also need to be focused on doing sales because the more sales we make, the more we can donate. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned earlier that you now have over 100 SKUs. What did you start with? When you launched the, the store, launched the business for the first time, how many products were you working with? Three. Yeah. <laughs> um, very limited, as I said. And I think it was... It was helpful to have um, such a strong cause. It was helpful to be uh, young and people wanted to rally around a, a college student uh, trying to do something big. And and so, again, I think that goes to not waiting to start your business. If you have the idea, uh, just, just go for it. Um, and so even though I started off with so little, to grow something organically, I didn't realize would be so fulfilling. Yeah, I, I like that you did start with three because I think a lot of times entrepreneurs get hung up on launching a perfect store with as many products as possible and they wait around for so long that they eventually sometimes lose steam and never launch at all. So once you launched with three, what were the next steps to expanding that catalog? How did you know what to add next? Yeah, to expand was really just just growing in our sales so we could have the capital to... Uh, to place bigger orders, to hi- to buy and buy, our vo- and buy our volumes. And I, I think it was really just focusing on the marketing first because that was ultimately what was selling. Even if it was just three SKUs, it was still getting people to the website. Um, so just selling more, we worked with a couple, once we did have about 10 to 15 SKUs, that's when we started um, putting together a catalog, p- pitching it to stores, um, and starting to scale, but it really, it really started off small. And I think, um, at the time, and this is going to sound so naive, but being 19, I, I didn't even know that it was an option to seek outside funding or, or money. I just really worked with what I had at that time, which was, I had enough to buy three SKUs and start my website. And that was it. Um, and I'm glad that I didn't know that that was an option because it, you know, I could own 100% of the company. Um, I didn't have to report to any outside investors, and I worked with what I had. And so I think understanding that that's an option too when you start your business is just looking at your current resources and not always having to think that you have to go elsewhere. You know, because your catalog is pretty large, you know, or 100 SKUs, you find that the sales are concentrated around a select few products? Or what are your thoughts on that? Um, it, it depends on the industry. You know, we have uh, uh, like more of a fitness, yogi uh, demographic where it's very con- concentrated in certain collections. Um, but then we also have a, you know, fashion forward 20 something movement that is very concentrated in different in different ones, but it's pretty, it's pretty spread out. Um, but we do have some core products that have been, have withstood the test of time and have been on our website for the past, uh, few years, but it is one of those constant battles of, 
um, trying to keep what people like in, in terms of styles and also keeping things fresh. Uh, and sometimes you can't make everyone happy. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever remove products from the catalog or does it just keep on growing? We do. We remove products um, just to create a sense of urgency uh, where people don't know how long they're going to last. Mm. Um, and that was something that we started doing about two years ago was really just uh, not saying that this is going to be up forever because then it it eliminates that that you know step in someone's mind when they're shopping to say, well, maybe I'll just come back and get it later. Um, now they can ask themselves, well, will it be there later? Uh, which is, has proven um, effective for us in our conversions. Yeah, that's a great point that if you just leave something around forever, even if someone might want the product, they just might not never make that decision to actually buy it. So making sure that they recognize that this might not be around forever will force them to 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 buy sooner. Now, yeah. Is that, some, is that a lesson that someone has to be, I guess, burned by, I guess, or learn? the first time before they recognize or are there ways for you to communicate that, hey, this headband or this, our entire catalog is always going to be essentially curated and things might go away that you might have wanted. How do you make sure that people understand that there's this urgency? Definitely with some of our more seasonal products or a limited time collaborations that we do if we have a celebrity design a headband or something like that. But a good example is um, for 4th of July and Memorial Day, we had an American flag headband that was uh, sold through very quickly. And so in our we kept having to get it back in stock and back in stock. And so in our marketing, whenever it would come back in stock, that was uh, it was proven that it kept selling out. And so um, one of the features that we use in Shopify is um, having a sign-up list for a product to be alerted when it's back in stock. And that's something that uh, has been really great for us because when that person gets that alert, uh, they know that they're going to go get it because it was something that was, was out of stock that they wanted. Mm, yeah, I do see that sometimes where stores will just never have anything uh, out of stock. They want to remove everything from their catalog that's gone out of stock. But that's a great opportunity to show people that, A, these products are in demand, you know, that, that yes. there's a social proof to it. You know, it's kind of a strange thing, but people will care if there are things that are sold out. They'll care that they'll want it more. And it's an opportunity to collect those emails, like you're saying, to be alerted when it does come back in stock. So just because you don't have, you don't want an entire store that has nothing in stock, but it doesn't hurt to have a few things out of stock because it creates that image and then also allows you again to collect email addresses. So other than these um, seasonal or collaborations, are there other reasons or other, I guess, statistics or data points that you look at to decide that a product should be removed? Um, we also look at, you know, a social media engagement too, um, posting lifestyle pictures of that product, who's commenting on it, who's tagging it. Uh, we also do very heavy influencer marketing. We love working with um, bloggers, uh, celebrities, and having them pick products that they would like to feature. And if the it's just not at the top of their lists, it shouldn't be at the top of ours because that's who people are looking to for fashion inspiration and advice. So, um, yeah, if it misses the mark then, which we've done that before, I mean, uh, you're, it, and it's also hard because with production and also with um, pitching to press and media, uh, you have to plan so far in advance um, to get the product in, 
you know, send it to magazines who plan, you know, their spreads like six months in advance. Um, so, I mean, you're, it's like July and you're thinking about spring, um, which uh, can be hard to shift your mind like that and also anticipate trends. Mm, yeah, so PR, I think you mentioned to me offline, was one of the the key uh, marketing channels for you. What's your approach to getting into these magazines? Yeah, PR has definitely been a game changer for Headbands of Hope. And it has really been because we have, I, I read this book called um, Zag, where it's when everyone else zigs, your company zags. So it's mm-hmm. not about making your product, uh, you know, cheaper, better, you know, bigger. It's just about finding white space on a canvas that no one else is doing. So they, he had to fill in the blank in the book. It was, you know, my blank company is the only blank company that blanks. So my headband company is the only headband company that gives headbands to kids with cancer. And so when you can fill in that blank, that's the forefront of your marketing. That's the forefront of your press releases. And that's something that, you know, we have at the front of our website because it's what you can fill in that makes you different. So a lot of media uh, are just looking for those companies that can fill in that blank. What are they doing that no one else is doing that they can highlight? So that has been great for us. Um, And just kind of casting a net with, with PR, just putting yourself out there, sending samples on samples to editors, um, understanding that rejection is a part of the process. And, you know, one day you might get a hit. Mm, so d- these days, what are some things that you, I like the way that you describe like about finding white space, finding like a, mm-hmm. essentially a canvas for you to, for you to show off your company. What are some other examples that, that maybe you are implementing today or recently that, that allow you to stand out, uh, you know, amongst the crowd? It, it goes back to our transparency as well, um, not just how we give, but the way we communicate that we give. Um, so doing that. And then we also hopped on the subscription train and uh, figured that we have a lot of repeat customers. Um, we have people that love our mission and want to continue to to contribute. So why, not, why don't we just make that easier for them? And so we have a quarterly subscription box of headbands uh that give three headbands for every box. And so that's something that, um, you know, was a risk on our end because again, it's another operational, um, component to what we do, but it, it makes us different. Um, it's a headband box. It, uh, it keeps the good going as we like to say. Mm. And, um, something that again, we can put in that, that zag, that white space that we're doing. Mm-hmm. So, so a subscription business. How, how is that different to run than than your, I guess, typical business that that you're you're running? You know, outside of the subscriptions. One of the uh, benefits that we offer our subscribers is exclusive products. So, what you get in the box, you can't get online. So that is a whole. Um, other manufacturing run that we have to do and also just different marketing, different customer acquisition. You're not just asking someone to buy a headband once you're asking someone to commit to continue to purchase. So, um, 
that that's different for us in terms of our marketing. How can we communicate that? How can we um, get people on board, even if, if that's a providing, you know, a discount or an incentive just to get people signed up so they can experience how good it actually is. Yeah, I, I've seen this approach where the subscribers will get something different than mm-hmm. than what everyone else can get. And I think the challenge then it becomes like how you obviously want to create a cool product, a product that people want in the subscription, but then you run this issue like if it's if it's so good then you want to also sell it outside of subscription. How do you balance that the, that decision? Yeah, you know, it's really hard um, because sometimes we'll get a product in the box and we're like, man, we wish we could blast Mm -hmm. this out, you know, to everyone on social media. But then we use that as a marketing incentive for the box too. We'll um, give a, a select few products to some influencers who will post it. And the only way that they can get that particular product is by signing up for the box. Now we do offer, um, with the box, uh, anytime cancellation. So if they honestly just wanted to get that one product in that one box, they could along with the other products they get in there. Um, but our hope is that they would get that box and, uh, want the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. Now, so outside of PR, I think something else that's related is, uh, influencer marketing. You mentioned this a bit. Uh, how, what's your approach here? How do you find the influencers? How do you work with them? Yeah, it's, um, I, I, it's something that we, have been doing that we found sometimes this is more effective than Facebook ads or some of this other, um, you know, paid advertising is really putting our products in the hands of the people that our customer paid, our customer base follows. So first of all, understanding who that is, um, we, you know, first just targeted, uh, you know, fashion forward, um, college influencers. And then all of a sudden we realized that we had, uh, a following in the yoga community. And there's a ton of amazing yoga accounts on Instagram with, you know, millions of followers that, um, love supporting good causes. So understanding who is your customer base following and then figuring out your approach from there. Um, so another benefit for us is that a lot of influencers, um, are more than willing to, to collaborate, uh, because of the, um, the good mission that, that we have that they want to share. And sometimes we send products and then a couple of cases we've had influencers even go to the hospitals themselves to pass out headbands and document that, that process. So I think it's important to understand who your following base is and also be willing to give away free product in exchange for, for those shout outs. And so it starts first with understanding who your customer base is following. How do you, is there like a process or someone came up to you and asked you that they have no clue who their customer base is following? What steps can they start taking to understand more about what their customer base is interested in, who they're following online? Yeah, there's actually, I mean, I'm sure that um, there's a digital way to do that. But for us, uh, there's a branding exercise where you actually like, talk about your customer as if they're an actual person and who they are. Where would you find them on the weekends? You know, we, uh, probably our customer base is volunteering or, um, going to farmer farmer's market or a fitness class. Um, we probably won't find them at, you know, a heavy metal concert. And so mm-hmm. understanding, um, where you might find your customer by actually speaking about them as if they're a person standing in front of you can sometimes, um, 
get down uh, to act, like details that maybe you wouldn't typically think of uh, is a good a good simple way to start. Um, but also identifying like similar brands as yourself or um, similar accounts and seeing what their followers are too. Hmm. Okay, so two things here. First thing was that when you talk about your customers, you're not even talking about where they visit online. You're talking about what their offline life is like, where yeah. they're going, where they're hanging out. And you start there first before tying that to some kind of online following. And the second thing was that you are, are you literally going to like, you know, competitors or similar brands and looking clicking on the followers and just going through the, these profiles? Like how do you... Yeah, not as much competitors as um, much as it would be like brands that we would collaborate with or partnership with. Like, for example, we've done um, a uh, collaboration recently with Mantra Bands where it's words of encouragement on your bracelet. And uh, for one day, if you bought a headband, you got a Mantra Band in your bracelet. And we knew that... Um, even though they were a different product, it was similar messaging, similar branding, um, similar mission of this kind of self-empowerment. And so finding those similarities, but not in a competitive space, I feel um, is the most effective way to do that. Mm, yeah, I would love to know more about uh, why, why you would focus more on the collaborators, people that you want to work with versus uh, competitors. What, what difference do you see there in the types of uh I guess, followers that they would have? Yeah, I mean, first, I, I just strongly believe in, uh, you know, collaborative entrepreneurship versus competitive entrepreneurship. I mean, mm -hmm. it's it's not only, you know, are you learning about what other people are doing that's maybe close to your field, um, it's, it's an opportunity to scale both of your brands quicker. And I find that um, more times than not, other companies and entrepreneurs are, more than willing to uh, collaborate and, and cross-promote and a way to overlap audiences and hope that one buys the other and vice versa. And so I just think opening those doors um, for a relationship or a partnership uh, is the best way to figure out more about your audience while also gaining an alliance. Mm, so I guess for you, you almost like don't see any company out there as a competitor, everyone out there you can work with. And I think that's an important mindset to have. I think there's this abundance versus, I guess, famine mindset where you think that the pie uh, is, you know, uh, a set amount. It cannot grow, but you, you approach it as a win-win. How can we work together to benefit the both of us? So I think that's an important mindset and a positive mindset to have for an entrepreneur that, that um, maybe a lot of people don't recognize. Now, you mentioned one thing that was interesting, which is that for you, influencer marketing can be more effective than paid advertising or Facebook ads. And I've certainly seen this, that people get very successful from collaborating or being featured by an influencer. I think the challenge then becomes scaling this up and finding enough influencers because you know with a Facebook ad or paid advertising, once you figure out what you want to do, it's literally you pump money in and then money comes out of it. <laughs> but what influencers, it's a lot more, it's not as... Uh, definitely. It's not as cut and dry. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, exactly. So how do you manage that? Yeah, it, I mean, 
and we've had a lot of success with Facebook advertising. I would, I just think from in Facebook advertising, it's amazing because it's so clean cut what you're giving and what you're getting. Um, but with influencers, I think being a company that is focused so much on messaging and branding, uh, how it's told and by whom it's told is something that's really important to us. And so we might not see a clear ROI from someone with, you know, a hundred thousand followers doing a post, but we'll see followers come to our account. Um, we'll be able to use those photos that that influencer took and gain that credibility of we're a brand that they like and that they wear. And so as far as operationally managing them, um, I mean, <laughs> we are all about the spreadsheets at Headbands of Hope. We know when an influencer's products are sent and we put it into Shopify as if it's an order, but um, just create it as like a $0 order. So we know that it's actually shipped. So the influencer gets an email when they're on the way, same as if they would actually purchase the headbands and uh, do a follow-up after they receive them, make sure it's up to their standards. And um, we create an influencer Dropbox where they just go in and upload their photos when they're done. And hopefully they put them on their account as well. Got it. Now, one other thing you mentioned to me offline was about how public speaking and sharing your story has been beneficial for your business. Uh, can you share some examples, some opportunities that you've had that have been valuable for your business to, to share your story? Yeah. I, I, when I first started being 19, um, it was, it was cool to be asked to speak at different schools about mm -hmm. how you can start a business when you're in college. And it was personally fulfilling to be able to do that, but I didn't realize how much it would really complement the company as well. Because when you're there, not only are you sharing your story and hopefully inspiring other entrepreneurs, you know, to, to start a business one day, um, everyone in that room now knows about your business and will most likely go follow you on your accounts and hopefully place an order as well. Um, so it's a, a way for, for us to, um, reach a, a wider audience by in a really human way of, of speaking and sharing the story. And I think that there are ways to do that where you don't have to travel around to schools across the country or, um, you know, be on a plane every day, but, uh, through video too, and, and really hearing from the founders. I always love whenever I make a purchase or, um, something along those lines where I, I, I hear from the founder and what feels like personally, hearing from the founder is always cool. So uh, for me, that avenue is public speaking, being able to share that. But I encourage other companies to communicate the, the founder voice in a, a channel that suits them uh, because it's been really great to see the relationships that have have stemmed from that. And, you know, maybe the, um, the stores that have been in the audience or, um, you know, some patient that that received a headband in the hospital that happened to be in the audience that day and um, things that come from just natural storytelling about the founder. Mm, yes. Yeah, so, so for anyone out there that is thinking about taking the same approach as you and, and, you know, going to conferences, going to events and, and speaking, but they don't have any experience here. What kind of tips do you do? Can you give to someone that's maybe trying to get their first speaking gig? Yeah. Um, I would say it, it's really not about your business when you're speaking. It's about 
what you learned from your business. Because understanding that you're probably not going to be speaking to a room of entrepreneurs or a room of people that want to be entrepreneurs. You might be speaking to a room of students or um, a room of, of salespeople at a company. And so what is it from your story that you can pull that's the greater lesson applies to a wider audience than just entrepreneurs. Um, that's one piece of advice. And then I would use that uh, as your marketing for your speaking is, is like what lessons can you pull that doesn't necessarily mean starting a business, but you know, what did that teach you about solving problems or what did that teach you about people and how can you share that? Yeah, I think that that's important that you don't want to go there and talk at them with your your business. You want them to to learn something that that's actually they want to hear something that they can actually relate to. And I think teaching a lesson is one of the best ways to do that. And as you're speaking of talking to entrepreneurs, you have a lot of articles written for entrepreneur.com. What's that? How how is that? Well, first of all, how What's that experience been like? How what's the experience been like sharing your story on on a, a large platform like entrepreneur.com? Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, when I first started my company, I was just hanging on to every word of uh, articles that I would read from entrepreneurs and and just really wanting to absorb up all of their lessons. And then once I started to have some of my own and things that I learned either from mistakes that I made or things that went well things that didn't go well, I almost felt like it was like uh, uh, my duty to, to share them because it's, it's a tough road being an entrepreneur. But as I was saying before, if we can be more collaborative about it and understand that we're all in this together and, uh, and help each other out with lessons learned or ways to make things easier, let's all do that. Um, so for me, I, I love writing. So writing for entrepreneur.com, um, Huffington Post was a way that I felt like I could um, quickly share uh, some of the best practices or even just funny stories of things that have happened. But um, even that, if that's just in an, an entrepreneur network in your local community or something that you find online where you can just help each other out and, and um, hopefully through your lessons help scale another business. Mm. Which which article of yours has been your your most favorite to to write? Um, actually, a topic that we discussed before was like how to apply a purpose to your company and like why why you should do that. Uh, I think conscious consumerism, you know, as I mentioned before, is just going to become an expectation, and I think that companies who aren't thinking um, ethically or morally or um, thinking beyond a transaction are going to fall behind. And so I think that's one of the greatest ways that I, I can serve the entrepreneurship community is by helping them figure out what that means to them. Mm, and because you have experience writing and you enjoy writing, I think blogging or sharing the, the entrepreneur journey for a lot of listeners is something that people feel compelled or pulled to because the exercise of putting your thoughts down on paper, I think is uh, very, um, I think is an exercise that, that is beneficial for a lot of businesses. What, what's the, what kind of tips do you have there for someone that wants to get started writing for a, a publication or a platform like Entrepreneur or, or any other uh, big publication? Yeah, I mean, it, and you're right. It's funny. Like I sometimes when I'm writing something, I'll think I'm 
going in one direction and I go in another and I almost am like teaching myself as I'm writing, things just become more clear. And so if anything, even if it's not for a publication, I just think it's, it's therapeutic and helps kind of sort out your mind as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that if you want to start contributing to some of these bigger platforms, it's so many of them are just run off of contributions and people willing to volunteer their, Mm -hmm. their time and their work, um, and their lessons that they've learned to share with the community. So first I would debunk the myth that it's really hard to get published by a lot of these online resources, um, because it's not, uh, if you have a story to share and you can organize your thoughts, um, usually preferably in some kind of segmented list. I know that, uh, especially with entrepreneurs, we like to get to the point Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, read it in the mo- most efficient way. So if you can think of maybe um, five things you learned going to your first trade show or uh, what you wish you would have done when you started your business and um, what that, that means to you, the best things that people relate to are the personal stories um, and specific scenarios. Uh, and if anything to teach, but also just as a way to put yourself out there into, into the community and hopefully um, gain some connections and relationships along the way. Hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask, you know, what, what kind of doors have, have opened for you because you have put out so, much, so many articles and written so many um, of these the articles for, for entrepreneur.com and Huffington Post? Yeah, it's um, I'll, it's been a lot of the people that I've met um, that I've just kind of said yes to opportunities. Like, for example, Jeff Hoffman, the co-founder of Priceline, was at um, one of the speaking events that I was the, that I was speaking at, and we uh, just hit it off. He loved what I was doing, and um, now sits on my board at Headbands of Hope just wow. because of a single opportunity like that. Um, and so that's one thing I also try to do that I think I got in a bad habit of when I first started my company was like, I always had kind of an agenda and I always maybe thought about, um, you know, what I was committing to or what I was doing more transactionally than I was just for the sheer experience of it. And when you are an entrepreneur and you value your time so much, it's easy to kind of um, ask yourself, okay, well, who's going to be there? Or, you know, how much are they going to pay me? And, um, you know, how long do I have to stay? But sometimes just showing up, you never know what's going to happen, even if you don't have that agenda. Mm, yeah, I think that's a great point that a lot of t- because we don't have that much time, resources are limited, we want to de-risk every, every movement we make, right? And we want to know the possible outcomes of everything but sometimes you can't know and a lot of times just putting yourself out there as much as possible and eventually something will you'll catch something eventually yeah just decide to be there now when you're running this business do you have a team is it you yourself like who's behind the the, the company yeah i have a team um there is seven employees now and I um, am grateful for them every day. And they, I never thought that I, when I started my company, and this was a, a mistake that I made in the beginning, I never thought that I would find anyone that cared just about, just as much about my business as I did. Mm-hmm. I thought like there's no one out there that is um, going to work as hard as I do or, you know, going to like work through the weekends and stay up at night. And I was so wrong. And, um, for me to say that and to think that way, I was really closing myself off to 
amazing people that were smarter and better than I am and could scale my company a lot quicker than I was. And so like the first step to hiring for me was to understand that I don't know everything. And there are people out there that, um, will rally for your business as if they were a founder. Um, and you don't always have to be the founder to, to care so much and put your heart on the soul and soul on the line for something. I've just been blown away by their work ethic. And I think that that also is clearly connected to, again, that, that mission of our company and also like what that does for hiring too. Um, I think there was a stat that I read recently that over 50% of millennials would take a pay cut for work that is meaningful to them. Um, so having like a, a mission driven company can also be a great, uh, hiring method as well. Mm. And to keep the team all organized, like, are there any applications or tools that that you guys rely on to to help keep the business running smoothly? Yeah, I mean, um, Todoist is a great uh, productive app that we use to kind of keep our priorities in a row. But um, you know, really, I, I think the one of the biggest things was just really like identifying people's roles. Um, and, but also having like a, a common goal. Um, so where everyone knows like where their responsibilities are, but yet we can all still brainstorm as if we're a, all a part of the solution. Um, it's, it's a healthy balance between like having your company, um, like having people do what they're good at, but then also having everyone come together and like go to the drawing board because it's important to, make everyone feel and utilize everyone to be a part of a solution. Because I, I mean, personally, I don't feel that someone would work towards a solution that they don't feel that they're an integral part of. Mm -hmm. Um, so involving everyone in that has been key and also great because there's a lot more ideas that are coming out of it. For sure. Thank you so much, Jess. So headbandsofhope.com is the website. So what's the, uh, what's the next big goal for you and for the company? You know, it's, uh, we are actually going into all thousand Ulta stores this fall. So it's, um, a really exciting move for us and something that is going to, um, really scale up our distribution. And we've had to learn a lot on the back end from that as well. But, uh, yeah, we're excited for that, for that big milestone we're about to hit. Very cool. Sounds like an exciting but uh, very busy upcoming season for you then. Yeah. Awesome. So again, thank you so much for your time, Jess. Thank you, Felix. Here's a sneak peek for what's in store in the next Shopify Masters episode. All of our design is done in-house. All of our photography is done in-house. Production, manufacturing, logistics, sales, marketing, all of that is under one roof. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial. Also, for this episode's show notes, head over to shopify.com slash blog.